This is Facing Fentanyl. Interviews with actual users. That was my first encounter with fentanyl. Their experiences. My nose was to the steering wheel and I could barely stay awake. But most importantly, the lessons leading them out to the only person in that picture that's still alive today. Where they can speak of what it is to be facing fentanyl. The following interviews depict substance use and mental health disorders, including abuse, depression, suicide, and trauma. If you or someone you know are suffering from these disorders, we recommend reaching out to the National Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org or the National Alliance on Mental Health at nami.org. That's N-A-M-I dot org. Listener discretion is advised. We'd like to thank our sponsor, La Jolla Recovery, before getting back to our interview. La Jolla Recovery is an alcohol and drug treatment center in San Diego, providing evidence-based solutions to addiction for over 12 years. The pandemic has impacted mental health immensely, and if you're wondering whether a loved one or yourself might be using a substance beyond recreation or fun or social bonding, La Jolla Recovery wants to answer all your questions in a private and confidential manner at LaJollaRecovery.com. That's L-A-J-O-L-L-A Recovery.com. That's again L-A-J-O-L-L-A Recovery.com. Now back to our interview. Because in the previous uh, podcast, we found that there's something behind the the the, the pain. Yeah. So you wake up to go to pray to to replace his brother. Yeah, and uh, say so it's just like wow, like you're very lucky to be alive. All the stuff, but at the time, I'm just thinking like. Honestly, at the time, I'm thinking I have a football game in two days. Wow, that's how much, that's what, like how much it was in your, yeah. like the calendars in your mind. Yeah, exactly. What what position did you play? Uh, I played a uh, cornerback and I kick returned and punt returned. You seemed very assertive of what you were doing. Were you, you, you were headed, you were headed somewhere? Yeah, I mean, it was such a small town that like, um, I didn't have like any D1 like scholarships, but, uh, two people on my team they one of them walked on to san diego state and ended up after the summer of training we gave him a full ride you know, by other buddy uh university of nevada reno full ride and i was going to try and walk on uh at fresno state mm-hmm. and uh hopefully you know so here you're in two days i have a game people are telling me that i should be grateful i'm alive you're still dealing with wait i'm, I'm not this is hard to process i'm like 17 yeah, it was really surreal. Like I didn't, I didn't really understand how serious it was. I guess I had a lot of visitors that I didn't remember. But like the doctor, like looking at my parents' perspective, like the doctor told me, "Look, he's not gonna make it. He's not gonna make it. I've never honestly done this surgery before. Really, you know, put stuff together and hopefully he can make it. And really, what saved my life is all the years of football and being in such good shape." Interesting. So that that was the investment, the focusing in your health. Yeah, was a was a a cushion for that impact. Yeah. Wow. But you're there. People are visiting you, and everybody's saying you need to be grateful. Yeah, and I was really just really mad. Looking back on it, do you think it would have been important to kind of like attend where you're at? Kind of like okay, let's forget about yes, you're great for your life. But I, I was yesterday we were talking with a therapist talking about dismissing feelings and how important it is to like meet where a person is at. Yeah, um, it really 
I mean, I was just so young and I just didn't, I, I was just really mad and I just thought that it, it wasn't fair. And I was really just honestly mad at life. sorry for myself. Feeling sorry for yourself. And it, yeah, it was just. And they're giving you tablets and nobody, no, nobody's questioning, hey, should he talk about this with someone? No, they just kept giving me prescription after prescription and stronger and stronger. And then by that time, I'm addicted. And so it's it physiological. You're like, it starts with like me scheming to get more. And how did that go? How did you do that? How did you scheme to uh, get more? Just more uh, pain. Uh, they're just not strong enough. Was, was there a moment where somebody started saying, hey, I think you're starting to, this is not okay that you're using so much? Or, or do they kind of understand? Because yeah, the they, I mean, my mom was, was so naive to the whole addiction mm -hmm. and all that stuff, like with the pain pills. And she was just, honestly, she said, she blames herself now, mm. but she was just really worried. I'm the baby. And she's just like, he's in pain. Like, Get him, help him. Help him. Yeah, so, but. So you use that also to your advantage to be able to like, mom. Yeah. And then I got cut off eventually because obviously it can only go so far until they start catching on. And that's where the black market appears. So yeah, they just cut me off. And uh, that's when I just had to start buying them off the street. And you were like, the first thing you do is look for narcos? Yeah. So you're like, I'm going for the same medication but in the black market. Well, it turned to Oxy-30s. Oxy-30s, which are stronger? They're stronger. They're stronger. Yeah, they're stronger. How common are they for a 72? Uh, not very common. They mostly okay. just give them to uh, older So you have to go to somebody's habit name? Um, or how? How? Honestly, how after for a while, it was like, I'll take anything. I'll, like, whatever you have, I'll get it. And it's, so I had a good job at the time. Okay. I was a uh, uh, beekeeper. Okay. And, but I mean, my whole paycheck was just going to support my habit. It's something that we have to change friendships to be able to start finding black market prescriptions. Yeah, for sure. And then once you're around that, you have to start situation and uh, lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Like I ended up meeting somebody that had a doctor that you could just pay. Uh, not in this, but not in the in the same state? Uh, no, in, yeah, California. So you go there and- This was back in? 2012. Before they started cracking yeah. down? Before they called it doctor shopping, you could go to different doctors and send them to different pharmacies with different milligrams, so. And the friend says, hey, I got somebody who's gonna give it to us, right? Yeah. How, how, did that, how did that session go? Does the doctor really kind of like put you on a scale, try to see, or they're like, no, they, they know exactly what, the, they know what you're looking for. Yeah, they know exactly what you're looking for. How did that feel walking out of a place? Oh, uh, it was, I mean. What was the prescription for how long or? Um, it was 120 Oxy-30s, which is four tablets a day. And uh, also got Xanax and Kiwit prescribed Oxy also. Oh gosh, he gave, he gave you a combo platter. Yeah. So this is this is not good. This is, you're already starting to, to do multiple at the same time? Yeah. And for the pain, it's a spot. Yeah. 
how do you honestly at that time by that time after all my surgeries and all my foot and back and stuff they i really think it was more of a mental thing uh, that i wasn't really in that much pain so it's no longer physical um i still have issues with uh my left foot but i mean other than that i'm extremely what what would you say the pain is most kind of like still dealing with where you're at trying to make sense of it all what sadness then yeah because you're saying well it wasn't most that the pain was yeah it was more just an internal internal thing of pain and uh, just not knowing what and having no purpose just lost just a 20 year old like maybe 19 at the time she's like but that makes so much sense and i don't think anybody ever questions like where where does someone come from when they're using multiple substances or using what we're going to get through is fentanyl and it's important to understand the human being yeah so here you're being prescribed by a doctor who has a responsibility to understand where you're at doesn't care it's a financial incentive gives you multiple prescriptions if something tells me this is going to start affecting your life fast yeah for sure at the time it was like there's a lot of strict like it's it is a really stressful situation, the lifestyle, trying to stay, stay well and not be sick, be able to go to work every day and all that stuff. So I thought, oh, if I'm getting it from a doctor, I don't have to, it's, it's legal technically, I guess, kind of. And I don't have to go do drug deals on the street or buy drugs from random people. Which is a good thing yeah, to a certain extent. To a certain extent, then that never lasts. It's like, we're a thing, at least something. Like, that's why it's so hard for drug addicts to keep a job. Because it's so hard to keep maintaining that lifestyle of staying well, um, working for money to be able to do that. So it sounds like you were good at the juggling. Yeah, for, for a while. For a while. That's the thing with addiction is it's so progressive. You started noticing it. Family, friends, everyone, yeah, little by little. What did they say? Uh, which were some of the, like I said, those just a lot of energy. Energy. Well, they they didn't really. Yeah, they started noticing those guys started being sick and starting to do sketchy stuff, Could stealing. You, you say that again. So they started. Uh, they started noticing, not that I was high. It was that uh, when I wasn't high. I was very aggressively, not very nice, very mean. Very reactive, so they kind of go like, this is yeah. not Bill. And uh, definitely just obviously just started getting caught stealing. Um, what was it, like the jewelry? Mostly, mostly just like, mostly women. Money. So it's like, hey, why is my wallet missing? This podcast continues in the next episode. This is Facing Fentanyl.